What is needed today is the kind of discipline that instills a healthy fear of the Lord in our lives. But frankly, this is not what professing Christians want anymore. In today's church culture, it seems politically correct to trivialize the things of God, to treat God's commandments lightly, to blow off the need to walk humbly before the Lord. And what is the outcome of this prideful attitude? Sin, carnality, and worldliness. Just what we see so much of in the church of our day. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. For all the times the Bible mentions the fear of the Lord, you'd think Christians would understand more about it, or more importantly, desire it, pursue it, and live in it. Today we examine how the fear of the Lord helps to deliver a man out of addiction to pornography and sexual sin. I'm your host, Jim Lewis. And this is Purity for Life. Steve Gallagher is the founder of Pure Life which is one of the first programs of its kind. And that means that in his journey out of bondage to sexual sin, Steve Gallagher didn't have a program to go to. He had a Bible. He had the encouragement of his wife. And he had a relentless determination to get free. These 20 truths are his journey. Things the Lord showed him along the way. A key element in his freedom was coming into the fear of the Lord. Okay, truth number nine. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The title of this segment comes from what Solomon said at the beginning of Proverbs. And it's an extremely important concept for anyone dealing with habitual sin. The definition of fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, whether the threat is real or imagined. And that is exactly how the word is understood in secular Hebrew and Greek. But there have been teachers who have insisted that it only means having a reverence for God. And of course, reverence is an important part of godly fear but it would be a misrepresentation of the word fear to say that that's all it means. There is simply no getting around the fact that fear means fear. You really see this when the fear of the Lord is discussed in the New Testament. For instance, Jesus said, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In fact, the Greek word for fear is phobio, which can be defined as exceeding fear or even terror. The reason we don't have that sense of the word in the American church is because we've exaggerated the concept of grace. For many Christians, the grace of God has supplanted the fear of God. Let's face it, the fear of the Lord simply doesn't fit into the popular grace narrative of our day. In fact, 
If George Barna took a poll of American Christians about what they most fear in life, I suspect it would probably be something like this. Number one, fear of physical suffering and death. Number two, fear of losing one's job and or financial security. Number three, fear of rejection or humiliation. Number four, fear of the uncertainty of the future. And number five, fear of failure. But where, oh, where is the fear of God? Where are the men of God who cry out, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments? And I think if someone with no knowledge of Christianity attended services in a typical American church, he'd probably walk away feeling there must be some biblical commandment that says, you shall not fear the Lord. Listen. God put that distressing emotion inside us to alarm us to danger. We understand the need of it to help us to be alert to physical danger, but how is it that professing Christians in habitual sin can be so oblivious to the spiritual and eternal danger therein? Be that as it may, let's look at what this verse in Proverbs 1 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I'm going to stop there for a minute. The fear of the Lord is only the starting gate into the great realm of knowing God. A person cannot take a single step on the Christian journey without the fear of the Lord. In fact, I would say that a person can't even begin to understand grace or anything else about God and His kingdom until he knows what it means to fear God. Referring to this verse, Zach Poonin compared Christians who lack the fear of God to children who have been enrolled into college by ambitious parents. Those children can sit in college classes, but they will never learn anything because they didn't go through regular school first. The teachings they receive will just go over their heads. Instead of advancing out ahead of everyone else, as their parents hoped, They'll just remain stuck right where they were when they left elementary school. And that perfectly illustrates Christians who try to learn about the things of God without the fear of the Lord. They never get anywhere. Let's look at the rest of our verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This second phrase really explains the first. Every one of these Hebraic terms is an expose on how people respond to the Lord. The word fool in the Bible isn't exactly how we would think of the term. We think of a fool as being someone who consistently makes stupid decisions. But the biblical term always, always refers to a person's moral decisions. A fool in scripture is someone who disregards the spiritual implications of his actions. The word despise describes an attitude that is opposite of someone who's careful not to displease the Lord. It means to think little of something or someone, to ignore them as if they're not important. The fool has very little concern about godly wisdom and the need to fear the Lord. The Hebrew word for instruction here is actually translated as discipline more often than instruction. But in the Jewish mindset, the two concepts go hand in hand because to them, discipline was such a major part of instruction. The wisdom Solomon spoke of would be far different than the kind of book knowledge that American Christians tend to pursue. 
We want to believe that head knowledge about Christianity somehow equates to godliness, but one only needs to look at the condition of the church today to see that that is faulty reasoning. The truth is that head knowledge doesn't change a person's heart or his life. So if I were to take into account the meaning of all of these Hebraic terms, perhaps I could restate the verse to say something like this. The discipline of the Lord creates the fear of the Lord, which in turn creates godly wisdom. But fools have no interest in any part of this process. I don't think this version of Solomon's statement is very far off base. What is needed today is the kind of discipline that instills a healthy fear of the Lord in our lives. But frankly, this is not what professing Christians want anymore. In today's church culture, it seems politically correct to trivialize the things of God, to treat God's commandments lightly, to blow off the need to walk humbly before the Lord. It's all part of the current trend to exaggerate God's grace to the point of making it meaningless and to minimize the need to walk in fear and humility with the Lord. And what is the outcome of this prideful attitude? Sin, carnality, and worldliness, just what we see so much of in the church of our day. The wisdom of God that leads people into truly godly living has become a rare commodity. It isn't very prevalent today because that's not the kind of Christianity people want. Listen to what Mike Iaconelli said about the fear of the Lord. I would like to suggest that the church become a place of terror again, a place where God continually has to tell us, fear not, a place where our relationship with God is not a simple belief or a doctrine or theology, it is God's burning presence in our lives. I am suggesting that the tame God of relevance be replaced by the God whose very presence shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes, and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. The church needs to become a gloriously dangerous place where nothing is safe in God's presence except us. Nothing, including our plans, our agendas, our priorities, our politics, our money, our security, our comfort, our possessions, our needs. We aren't afraid of God. We aren't afraid of Jesus. We aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. As a result, we've ended up with a need-centered gospel that attracts thousands but transforms no one. That is a very powerful statement. But what does the fear of God have to do with overcoming an addiction to porn? Well, it's actually a very vital part of the process. Solomon later said that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of God's discipline, or even his judgment of sin, helps to keep those passions in line. Even the positive side of this fear, True reverence of God motivates people to avoid sinful behavior. The Lord loves His people and how it must break His heart to see them prefer the passing pleasures of sin to a real walk with God. You can hear it in what He said to the Israelites so many centuries ago. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Oh Lord, give us a heart that fears you.
What happens when a young man whose life is totally out of control through alcohol, drugs, sex, and constant thrill-seeking suddenly encounters the fear of the Lord? Pure Life provided the time, the place, and the opportunity for that to happen for such a young man, and he was revolutionized. The Lord is still transforming lives, and here is one such story. I brought Nathan Bohr into the Purity for Life studio to talk about the fear of the Lord, but also to share his story of a life lived totally without the fear of the Lord. You see, I know Nathan. We were students in the residential program at the same time back in 2015. We worked at the same job, rode in the same car, even performed the same chore. Even though I'm his father's age, we're close friends. I know him to be a godly young man who loves the Lord with all his heart. I know him to be a gifted biblical counselor who uses the Word of God to walk men into freedom from sexual sin and into a life of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I also know that it wasn't always this way for him. Every staff member and every student at Pure Life were wrecks when we got here or we wouldn't have come. We came here seeking freedom from sin that we couldn't get on our own. So that our lives were once wrecked and ruined by sin is a given. We began our conversation by looking at Proverbs 14.9 where Solomon wrote that fools mock at sin. One thing I found fascinating as I was looking at the meaning behind these words was that this is describing the person who boldly pursues sin, but then loves to boast about it. This really helped bring the verse alive to me because I've certainly been in situations where people unashamedly told me all about their sins. The meaning there is that moral fools love to brag about their guilty exploits. I started off by asking Nathan if he was in this camp as a young man. Absolutely. Uh, I'm happy that you asked if that was the camp that I was in because not only did I enjoy bragging about the sin I was in, but I was surrounded by people who also lived to create crazy stories about the, the sin that they were in, whether it was a long weekend or a, a crazy music show or some ridiculous amount of travel under the influence of some substance. We always had a spirit of competition to try to outdo one another. I asked Nathan just to tell us his story. As it began to unfold, he was describing a definite progression from one activity to another, each hinging on the next on a downward spiral into more and more sin, more and more degradation, all in the name of achieving that next thrill. Nathan was a pleasure junkie. The pursuit of sin came before I even really understood that it was sin. Uh, it began with self-gratification uh, around the age of uh, 10 or 11. After or during those changes, um, I was brought to a doctor who diagnosed me with uh, ADHD. 
Um, later, they diagnosed me with depression. Each time I was diagnosed with something, they gave me a medication of some sort. I was playing video games, and that increased in a rapid succession. As I went from the ages of 11 to 15, I played more and more video games and eventually came across uh, pornography, which then I understood that self-gratification was sin. Then that really lit the candle for what had already began in me years before. I quickly realized that the medicine the doctors were giving me wasn't really helping me and that I could abuse it to get high. So I did that and we began stealing alcohol from our parents. Actually, we even stole alcohol from random people's garages and that presented uh, you know, an adrenaline high to go with all of the others. And eventually I, I began dabbling in, in marijuana, which led to all, all kinds of other substances, which I had sworn previously that I'd never do. Notice the progression of sins that Nathan just described. Fantasy self-gratification at an early age, even without pornography. Prescription stimulants. 20% of all boys 4 to 17 are on prescription medication for ADHD and even more for a host of other disorders. Video games came next, followed closely by pornography. Then alcohol, street drugs like marijuana, petty crime, and sexual promiscuity. How many other American teens take a similar route? And how many teenagers, even in the church, are part of the local party scene? It was always from one party to the next party. Who was throwing the best party? Which college did you go party at? Which show did you go to? Which music festival did you attend? It was just one outdoing another at every opportunity with a mixture of substance abuse, sexual encounters, music, travel, whatever you could do to outdo everyone else in your group and make them realize that you were cool or you were crazy or you, you know, came up with a unique way of doing things that intrigued others. It seems like uh, we were invincible. I mean, you get into so many crazy car accidents or you experience such an overwhelming amount of substance abuse and you start thinking, can I really die? And, um, you know, eventually a couple of friends did die. Overdose, suicide, it, it, there is tragedy at the end of that, that road. Nathan may sound like a typical American teenager, but one thing that we haven't yet mentioned is that throughout all this time, Nathan was attending Christian school and going to church. Despite being involved in a lot of religious activities, something was missing from his life. There was no fear of God. But thankfully, Nathan began to see that his life was out of control. The deaths of some of his classmates to overdose and suicide sobered him up a little. He knew he needed to stop his runaway lifestyle, but who could help? I first heard about Pure Life at a men's Bible study, and as soon as I had heard of it, 
Uh, it was like I knew I was supposed to go, and I also knew that I didn't want to go. One of the other guys in the men's group had brought up his addiction to pornography, and while I had been using pornography for years, it never presented itself to me as a life-dominating addiction. I, it was picked up, it was put back down because of all a very promiscuous lifestyle that went along with all the substance abuse. So I had different girlfriends, I had pornography, I had substance abuse, and it was just like this whirlwind inside of me. I never thought that sexual sin was my problem. I thought that drinking an enormous amount of alcohol each day was my problem, was what was going to kill me, or overdosing on some weekend bench. That was my fear that was going to, to kill me. Nathan is a little different from many who come to Pure Life. He wasn't forced here by his parents. He wasn't given an ultimatum by his wife. His life was out of control, but he came here because he somehow knew that God had called him here. And his life was filled with fear, but it wasn't the fear of the Lord. There was some fear of death, but mostly it was fear that he was lost and could never be saved. First, I was terrified that I had grieved the Holy Spirit. I thought I had committed the un unforgivable, unpardonable sin. And I was convinced that no program, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of thankfulness was going to get me out of depression, uh, restore a right mind to me, or um, reverse the consequences of the lifestyle I had chosen to live in complete opposite, in rebellion to God. Um, so I was very afraid that I would die and I would go to hell and that there was nothing that I could do. I was just, I was doomed. I was stuck in condemnation for uh, at least the first three months of the program. One time during a teaching here at Pure Life, I asked the class of 70 men how many of them at one time had wondered or worried that they had committed the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit and were in danger of forfeiting their salvation. I expected a few hands. Nearly every hand in the room went up. I've written a blog article on the subject of committing the unpardonable sin on the Pure Life blog page, and we'll include a link on this page to get to it quickly. Now, the Lord intervened in Nathan's life to deliver him from this fear of having sinned beyond God's forgiveness. There was a special service, I believe it was a Thursday night, and I'd been battling this three or four months into the program and wrestling through the, the idea that I, I'm not, I can't be saved, I've committed the unforgivable sin. One of the speakers got up and said, there's someone out there who thinks that they've committed the unforgivable sin, that uh, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know that if you are afraid that you have committed the unpardonable sin, it is actually a great indicator that you have not, because people who have grieved the Holy Spirit do not care. And there was something that broke in me at that point. There was hope where there was hopelessness. And it, I still share that with many people today because it, it really helps me. 
we turn to Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It is five years since Nathan arrived as a student at Pure Life. He has come into the fear of the Lord and into a sincere hatred of sin. There's still struggles with temptation. We don't hate every sin every time, but God does a real work of deliverance in our lives as we walk with him. I find myself hating some sin more than other sin, where God hates all sin. So as I continue to spend time with him and to learn what he's really like, he continues to help me to hate all sin the way that he does. But yet the sin that I'm dealing with now, five years later, is much different than the sin that I showed up to Pure Life Ministries residential program with. You heard the testimony of what Nathan's life was like right up until the day he arrived at our doorstep. He is no longer the same person. The Lord has done a work in his life and everything is different for him now. I have uh, been set free. The, the life-dominating sins that were driving me to an early grave no longer uh, control my thought patterns. They're not the things that um, motivate me to get out of bed in the morning. They're not um, directing me to the store or to the local drug dealer or to any other avenue uh, of, that I used to, to utilize. Nathan described the fear of the Lord as one of his useful tools in our sanctification. It's helpful to think of it that way. God uses our attitude of awestruck wonder and our healthy fear of his discipline to work real change in our lives and make us more like Christ. The fear of the Lord is one of, I believe, his favorite tools to change us into, him, into more of his image. You know, sin corrupted us, um, but when we get stopped in our tracks by by being afraid, um, it's very sobering, it's very alarming, it's very scary. But then to come to the understanding that the creator of heaven and earth who spoke everything into existence with a word wants a personal relationship with you and has created you for a purpose and his purpose is the only one that will satisfy, it really un undoes someone. It really undo undoes me. It really overwhelms me uh, that he knows exactly what we can handle even when we don't. God took a young man whose life was dominated by alcohol, drugs, sexual promiscuity, and relentless thrill-seeking and turned him into a biblical counselor who uses the Word of God to bring freedom and healing into the lives of sex addicts. How does God do that? Well, that's what Pure Life Ministries is all about. That's what God did first in Steve Gallagher. In his 20 Truths series and here on Purity for Life, we're describing the tools that God used, that he still uses, the truth, the scripture, repentance, regeneration, 
prayer, the fear of the Lord, useful tools in the hands of the Lord to set a man free. The fear of the Lord. The expression itself occurs over a dozen times in Scripture, and we are commanded to fear the Lord at least a dozen more. Steve Gallagher is right in his assertion that the fear of the Lord is more than just an attitude of reverential awe. It is the real fear that discipline and punishment come from the hand of a holy God and that dire and eternal consequences are the result of a life of rebellion and sin. The fear of the Lord is to hate sin. It made all the difference in Steve Gallagher's life, in Nathan Bohr's life, in my life, and hopefully in yours. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.